0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of Christian Conspiracy Theory We are your host, Matthew and Aaron Miller It's good to be with you We're going to talk about a subject that really pushes the envelope Many questions in the Bible About Rahab What is that? But once you get deep enough into the biblical text The real question is not what, it's who. But in looking into Rahab, we're going to have to go back to the Exodus. We're going to have to investigate the dance that went on between, well, the good guys and the bad guys. Let us say the Axis and the Allies. On a truly biblical scale So Aaron, why don't you jump on here and describe our initial conversation that led to this topic And then just jump right into it Let's get this show on the proverbial road, so to speak
1: Okay, so um, my question began with Exodus chapter 7 Uh, verses 9 to 13, that uh, God said to uh, Moses, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did, just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent then pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers and they also the magicians of egypt did the same with their secret arts for each one threw down his staff and turned it they turned into serpents but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs yet pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the lord had said uh, so my question was how did these fair of these uh magicians, these sorcerers, how were they able to make their staffs come to life and turn into serpents? And uh, we, we know how Moses and Aaron's staff were able to turn into serpents. Uh, God said, you know, and so I, I the question. I guess the question had always been in my mind, how were they able to do that? And the first thing I want to point out here is when it says serpent, it actually is dragon in both Hebrew and Greek. The word here for serpent in um, Hebrew is tanin, which is the Hebrew word for dragon. And uh, the Septuagint gives... Dracon, which is where we get our word dragon. So, um, everybody gets this this idea of a bunch of snakes here, but literally it says they turn into dragons. And we'll get back to that later. But how were these sorcerers able to do this? And this wasn't the only time Pharaoh's uh, sorcerers were able to do something. Um, and, uh, Chapter 7, verses 21 to 22, it says, well, that when Moses uh, struck the Nile, the fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile, and the blood was through all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt Egypt did the same with their secret arts and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. This was when uh, this was one of the um, plagues of Egypt where uh, where the Nile was turned into blood and literally all the water in Egypt was turned into blood. It says even the water that was in the pots. Um, and I, I will also point out that the same thing happened um, in Exodus 8, verse 7. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Um, and then finally, in Exodus 8, verse uh, 18 to 19, the magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not, so there were gnats on the man and the beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Uh, moreover, in Exodus verse 9, verse 11, Exodus chapter 9, verse 11, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as the Egyptians. So, um, we know the ten plagues of Egypt, and by the time the boils came in Exodus chapter 9, they couldn't... they weren't able to summon the same same curses as God did. So, how were they able to do this? That was my question. And I always knew, uh, since I was really little, like, I was studying this when I was mm, at least 10 years old. I was studying... Uh, the Leviathan and the uh, um, dragon Rahab, mentioned in, um, mentioned throughout the uh, Old Testament, and he is described as a dragon in um, in, cha- in Isaiah chapter 51 verses 9 to 10. Awake, awake, put on, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut up Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the depths of the sea and the waters of the great deep, who made the deep, the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? Um, so here he is, this Rahab is described as a dragon. Um, this, is the, this isn't the only place, though, that this Rahab is mentioned. And the um, so, first mentioned in uh, Job uh, chapter 9 verse 13 God did not turn back his anger beneath him crouch the helpers of Rahab in uh, Job 26 verse 12 he quieted the sea with his power and by his understanding he shattered Rahab and um, but what's what we're really looking at here is Isaiah chapter 30 verse 7 even Egypt whose help is vain and empty. Therefore I have called her Rahab, who has been exterminated. Um, So, Egypt is equated with this Rahab character, and um, very likewise, um, the Leviathan, uh, another dragon mentioned in the scriptures, um, we see a very like... Reference in uh, well in more specifically in Isaiah chapter 27 verse 1, but as to this Rahab, the two seem Leviathan and Rahab to be seem to be used hand in hand, as in Isaiah chapter 74 verses 13 to 14 says, "You divided the sea by your strength, who broke the heads of the sea monsters in the waters." You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. Now, um, we know that when God divided the sea, that was with uh, the Red Sea. When the Egyptians came to pursue Israel, uh, God uh, divided the Red Sea and allowed the redeemed to pass over, as Isaiah puts it. And, um, As the Book of Isaiah puts it. So, another thing I want to point out for this Psalms chapter 74 verses 13-14, before I go any further, it says, in the Greek, instead of um, saying you crushed the heads of Leviathan, you made him, you gave him his food for the creatures of the wilderness. It says. uh, You crushed the head of the dragon. You gave him his food for the Ethiopians in the wilderness.
0: Well, let me add this. Aaron, what you just said is is one of the keys uh, that I got to unlocking this whole mess. You begin to understand that this Leviathan is a coalition of angels. It's when they've made a pact. When they make a pact, they make a dragon. And with the staffs and everything that worked out there in Egypt, the real question is, is that was it Moses dancing with the magicians? Or was it the exodus angel dancing with the other opposing angelic host? Here we have its name, this leviathan, this beast This is a beast that's formed just like uh, Daniel talks about a beast. We have a beast in Revelation that is certainly different from the other ones. It is a coalition of angelic hosts that come together and make a pact. Now, you can also deduct from this from Ezekiel chapter 29 verse 3 that their borders are by one extrapolation, rivers. We have this geographically here in the United States everybody knows about the 100th parallel which as of late it's been in the news that it's actually moved, it's migrating but there is no rhyme or reason as to why the west is the west and the east is the east, there's no rhyme or reason it's just simply you cross the Mississippi River and all of a sudden it's a dry arid climate with no rhyme and no reason, it's just there it's always been there It was noted by uh, Lewis and Clark. It's a historical fact. Something divides this land down the middle, and its border is the Mississippi River. So we get this in Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 3. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster that lies in the midst of his rivers, that has said, My Nile is mine, and I myself have made it. So with this, we're able to understand the geographical borders. And this is the stepping stone to understanding uh, their rank and file. The Bible's really quite, quite clear. We have rulers, we have authorities, we have dominions. And when you work up that chain and realize this is exactly structured, and this is exactly why Uh, The Lord's most famous and most used name in the Bible is Lord of Hosts or Lord of Armies. They really are structured that way. So now everything gets really prophetic, but you're kind of speaking in terms that people really can't understand. Because, well, just like you stated, Aaron, this word in both the Hebrew and the Greek is not... It has never been serpent. It was dragon. There was dragons dancing. Now, we know the first incursion of the Exodus angel. We get him when Pharaoh rides out to decimate uh, the children of Israel. But, of course, he was halted for the entire night as the pillar of fire stayed between the two camps. And everybody forgets that uh, it wasn't Moses' staff and some work that he just held up the staff and it parted. The Bible's quite clear that it took all night and the wind blew and had a working in it and divided the land. And of course you read the part that uh, this defeated entity, its flesh was given as food, even as manna. So things really do push the envelope, but it starts right there. Aaron, you go to any English translation, not a one of them tells you the truth. They all say serpent. None of them says dragon. And if you don't get a hold of that and start chasing it down, even in the Hebrew, you're never going to do the reverse. Well, not the reverse, the inverted search in the Greek, and there you find the secret. That you mentioned. So, we're really talking about entities. We're talking about angels. And if this beast was elevated to the point that it was given a name, that means we should find some hint and some clue somewhere in the scripture because the Lord God, He is faithful and He is no respecter of persons. He doesn't really care if you know what happened or not. And that's a fact. He'll just come right out and tell you. Just like he did with the Hebrew and the Greek in Exodus chapter 7. Verses 9 through 13 are perfectly clear. It was never snakes that the staves were turned into. That that word is not in Exodus chapter 7. It's dragon. It's always been dragon. But, the first thing that I told you whenever you pushed me with this question, I said, you need to collect data. Get your mind off the serpents. What else were the magicians able to do? Collect data. Where was the line drawn in the sand? What could they do? What could they not do? That would give you data. But, we'll cover that here in a little while. So, Aaron... Uh, back to you. Well, Rahab, um, I want you all to
1: realize that that word Rahab is not the same word as the woman Rahab, which um, the harlot Rahab who helped uh, Joshua's men at, at Jericho, is uh, the book of Joshua tells. This, that's ac- actually Rahab. This word in Hebrew. Is Rahab, so um, two different, uh, it's very different spelling in Hebrew, um, and Rahab, or uh, actually means arrogance or pride, as you pointed out. This um, that it elevated itself to a name. Um, Leviathan also, if you break it down, means the writhing serpent. Well, I mean sorry, the writhing dragon. that's when you really get down to the root of it, and um so these these names are um kind of like a just a title for well, what they were trying to do what
0: which holds true. We know that the two angel names that we are given, Michael and Gabriel, we know that they stem from a root they actually mean something. So that holds true with the entire text. But let me ask you this. Did you find anything in the Book of Enoch as relating to what type of spells or sorcery that these Egyptian sorcerers were performing? Uh, I know that there's a list given in the Book of Enoch as to about what went down. Uh, what did you find there in the Book of Enoch concerning these things, Aaron? Well, in Enoch chapter 7,
1: verse uh, 1, according to my translation, it says that these angels um, taught them pharmaceuticals and enchantments and root-cutting and showed them botany. And I really had to break this down, this, this, this saying, because there was a lot of words that have an alternate meaning nowadays, as I use the word pharmaceuticals for pharmakia, pharmakia became known as the um, the use of drugs for sorcery. And but um, when you break down to the origin, it literally means a drug. And so I use the word pharmaceuticals, and um, the people when they look at this words, they they look over and say that they're just talking about magic and things like that, but Not necessarily. Um, Nobody even knows what this saying root-cutting means. I mean, according to um, witchcraft and all other uses of magic, um, there's no divination known for quote-unquote root-cutting. So that's what really drove me to really look into what this is actually saying. And that word enchantments here, it literally means to go... With song, it's from the from the um, two words G one nine oh nine and G fifty six oh three. So it literally means to go with song. Um, that that word song literally is what the word ode uh, stems from.
0: Well, with that in mind, we've got some other things that we're working on as far as that is concerned, and I don't want to speak to that just yet. But, you're tying in directly with things that people have no remote clue is there in the scripture. For one, this is tied with primus numerus, there can be no doubt. It is said... That their, their title in the Hebrew is, of course, the Moshiim. They sing a new song. And this relates directly back to Moses himself, of course, the infamous song of Moses. And when you go to the Psalms, there's no way around it, Aaron. No way around it. That singing is worship. No doubt about it. And when you direct your odes to an entity, you are worshipping that entity, and it's through that mechanism that they, well, perform favors for you. Those favors are more commonly known as magic. Of course, Exodus chapter 7 and verse 9 calls it a miracle. Now... That is a whole lot of information right there that's embedded and coded into the Hebrew and the Greek that the English translation, all of them, Aaron, all English translations will fail you in obtaining any of this information that God obviously wanted you to No doubt about it. So, let's talk about... The data. What could they do? What could they not do? So, Aaron, why don't you describe a couple of things that the magicians were able to do? And let's get to down to the meat and potatoes of it. There's obviously some things that, well, let's take root cutting, which nobody knows what that is. However, one thing is for sure. If you contaminated the Nile with something that would force out the frogs or kill the fish, and if an angel was to tell you that information, bingo, you have a direct hit. Because, Aaron, under no sense of, well, how do I put that? Under no stretch of the imagination could anybody have ever Went through all the research to gain all knowledge of plants and, of course, the concentrations thereof and the roots of the chemicals contained therein. To come up with these, well, magic, it certainly would have seemed like magic. So what are some of the things that they could do that would relate to these different types of sorceries mentioned here in the Book of Enoch?
1: Well, before we get any further, I want to point out that in uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse 11, it describes these sorcerers. In Greek, it calls them pharmakos, and it calls them apiodai. And um, that word uh, for enchantments that I just told you, um, thats that means with song, that is what apiodai is. So, these were enchanters. And they called them the pharmacos or those who used pharmaco- pharmaceuticals. So um, if you go with what the Book of Enoch says, that the, what those fallen angels taught men, this is what these, these sorcerers were doing. They were using these, uh, they were manipulating these,
0: um, these same things. So now we have a key to their limitations. Now we're able to understand what you can and what you cannot do using these two particular types of sorceries, correct? Now you blow the doors wide open as to the massive amount of information that these few chapters concerning Moses' dance, or shall we say Moses and Aaron's dance with Janus and Jambor's. That's what this is really talking about. But now that we know the Greek gave us the information as to which two types of sorceries they were working that had been taught by the fallen, now we realize not only what those two branches of sorcery can do, we've realized why they would have been taught in the first place. So, <clears throat> look at it like this. Aaron, if there was a serious famine in Egypt, let's say, they were having trouble getting food, you could, of course, work this magic, and everybody could just have frog legs. And that would be called what? Ah, yes, they would worship the deity involved, because he had instructed his priest how to get all the frogs to come up out of the Nile. And it would have been immediately gone from magic to miracle. And that miracle would have provided the angel with worship. So, now we're into different things. Now we have to open the door. Now we have to realize what God may have actually been telling Moses... This is a riddle, ladies and gentlemen. Was God meaning that he would take Moses and Aaron's side with the Exodus angel while this dance was going on? One thing's for sure. In the Greek, you know of the great day if he was seated upon the throne. That is the same word used of, ah yes, Pharaoh. So the stage was already set prophetically stage has already been set it's just that the English translations were falling so grossly short these things could only be reconciled and investigated in the language by which God spoke them Hebrew and Greek so that makes me think Aaron I already stated that God is no respecter of persons and he'll just tell you what he did And more often times than not, he don't have a problem telling you what exactly happened. He don't have a problem with it. You ran into this when I gave you a couple of verses to translate from Isaiah. I said, well, look at the Septuagint. You're having a lot of trouble with the Hebrew. Try the Septuagint. God will come right out and tell you. Remember the schematic that I had you make up for and you come to me and say, Daddy, this can't be right. The Bible can't say that, well... (laughs) That's just not a senator, it's a particular type of senator, and the exact particular type that we've ran across again with, in recent conversations with, ah, oh, yeah. In our last program, did we not talk about the ritual of the two prophets and the two witnesses that were so very strange? One a lion that didn't even finish his supper. And his strange companion, ah yes, the donkey. So, let me put this question to you, Aaron. Have you looked into who these two captains of the host could have been? Is there... Because remember, it takes two captains to create a beast, to, to create a Leviathan, to form a pact... Just like the pact that is described in detail in your Enoch translation. It's described in detail. And that took a little bit of song too, of course, didn't it, Aaron? Ah, yes, they took an oath. Another word for that, of course, is ode. But have you searched the scriptures for maybe... Because if you can find two... It's God's sense of humor because he's no respecter of persons. So, have you investigated the scriptures? Have you come up with any names that would tie back to multiple Egyptian deities? Uh, both of them
1: are in Jeremiah chapter 46. And uh, uh, Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 46 verse 15, it gives the first one. Um, it describes uh, one Apis uh, Which was a deity uh, In Egyptian mythology um, I'm actually quoting The Septuagint on this I'm actually going to read from Thompson's translation It says, why did Apis flee from thee? Thy chosen bull where, Why did he not stand? Um, so Apis he was a god often um equated with osiris um in in egyptian myth so that's the first one um he was uh well as we see in this verse it it, it shows it describes him as a bull a sacred bull and in uh, egyptian myth that's what that's all his Drawings, every time they showed him he was a bull Um A bull deity And Um We know that also the false god Moloch Was also Equated with uh, Shown as a bull Um So we know that the this The angel Moloch Might actually be the same entity This Apis And um but this is the Septuagint. The Septuagint gives the name Apis, but in the Hebrew, it gives Abirik, um, or from the word abir, which also, which can mean a bull, or literally uh, a strong or mighty one. And uh, so that would be our first entity, uh, um, Apis, the bull god of the Egyptians. The second one was Ammon Ammon is well Known in Greek myth And Egyptian myth And is equated with Zeus by many Um, And uh, It says His name is directly Quoted in um, Jeremiah 46 verse 25 Uh, The Lord of hosts The God of Israel says Behold I am going to punish Ammon of Thebes And pharaoh and egypt along with her gods and her kings even with pharaoh and those who trust in him so it so notice that these are both of these verses are literally directly addressing a false god i mean i mean there are many gods that are uh, false that well don't exist they're basically just wood and clay as the bible describes them but they are all based. Most of them are based on the fallen entities, or even the entities of light who have been um, worshipped. And so, as these verses are seem to convey, these aren't just wood and stone that are being uh, punished here, or directly, um, directly addressed, as if they were. True entities And um This Ammon is also mentioned in Nahum Chapter 3 verse 8 You are no better than no Ammon Um that actual word uh, Um I'm literally reading the Um The New American Standard Bibles Translation but Um no Ammon in Hebrew Actually means Ammon of Thebes Uh Which, well, Ammon was the chief patron god of Thebes, um, which is no in Hebrew. That word is no instead of Thebes. So, um, yeah, like you pointed out, that these are always mentioned as a coalition uh, of two great leaders of their host. Um, As we know in the Book of Enoch, um, there was uh, Azazel, and there was Azza, or Semyaza. And um, so that was the first one, the first Leviathan, and, um,
0: and now you've stumbled onto this one, Rahab.
1: Well, i actually been studying this for most of my life now, <laughs> Rahab.
0: Was you expecting God to just come out and tell you? Because... Uh, the history in Egypt isn't very well, especially with Amon. Uh, Did you look to history, to any special occurrences with uh, this deity? Because uh, he caused caused quite an uprising, didn't he?
1: Well, he was often known um, by some as uh, Emin ra um, uh, literally a a fusion with the... um, Follows the sun god Of e- e- the Egyptians Ra um,
0: That's right and for a time He exercised dominion Over the whole entire place did he not
1: Well he was the chief God for of the Egyptian pantheon throughout the new kingdom Um uh, Except for the uh, tennis, uh heresy Or when um, One of the One of uh the Egyptian pharaohs, who called himself Akenaten, um uh, said, this is, literally, um, he literally, um, forced polythe um, monotheism on all of Egypt to worship his one, uh, sun god, Aten, which is, um, directly correlates to this Ammon, who is, uh, Ammon-ra, uh, god of the sun, so,
0: So there you have it. We even have what happened in history on the ground when one of these elevated himself. And, now we know how they exercised dominion over the children of Israel because Ammon made a pact with Apus. No doubt about it. Yeah,
1: and it's it's very interesting to point out that in, um, demonologists, um, uh, back in the uh, medieval times, uh, called this also called him Ammon. Um and it's also interesting to call um to find that it also calls they also called him Nahum after that quote in Nahum uh concerning this entity in Nahum chapter three verse eight. Um, just uh, thought that'd be interesting to point out here.
0: Well massively important. It's massively important. Let's go back to these sorceries, Aaron. I find it amazing uh, what they could not do. Um, let's check out... Well, let's go from one to the other. Let's, let's go with chapter 8. Verse 7 says, The magicians did some of their secret arts, making frogs come up at the land of Egypt. Like I stated before, the pharmakia could have certainly driven the frogs from the river. But then we have 18 and 19 of that self-same chapter. The magicians tried the shrieker arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Aaron, what's your thoughts on that? Why could not The magicians produce the gnats. What's your thoughts?
1: Well, we we know that Exodus chapter 8 says that literally Moses, God told Moses to strike the dust and the dust of the ground and it it turned into gnats. It turned turned into a swarm of gnats. And um, so it's just, um, so literally the dust came to life. So we have to compare that with when the um when the uh, when these magicians also were able to turn their staffs into serp or into dragons i'm sorry into dragons and so they were able to make some life or could we really call it life because that was something i I really was asking about in that same conversation was did they bring these things to life and uh because that's what the, we're really talking about whether if they could turn a staff into a living snake into a living snake is really really the thing that we should is really what's of the greatest importance in this topic and but here, these magicians weren't able to turn the dust into gnats. And that might be, well, let's just think of it. That um, if you were to turn just a staff into a snake, that's that that could be easy. But turning dust into millions of little gnats is quite another.
0: Well, you're working with numbers, for one. No doubt about it, you're working with numbers. But do not fail to remember what was special about Aaron's staff. Well,
1: this staff was also the one that butted. Correct.
0: Let's extrapolate from that. A staff was at one point alive, was it not? Yes. You take a living tree, cut a branch off of it, and that's what you make a staff out of. However, Aaron, at no point in time was the dust alive. At no point in time. So, look at it this way. By taking that which was at one point living material, you simply performed a resurrection into a different form. Does not the New Testament scream out about this? It says that, Well, plants are of one type of flesh, and people are another. This says beasts have another type of flesh. We take this right back to Genesis, of course, when God stated why he had to bring the flood and wipe out all living things. It states very plainly, all flesh was corrupted. So, now you're crossing the line with what I talked about earlier. Was God taking the side of the angelic host accompanying Moses and Aaron? That's the real question. Well
1: I, I always um it is well known that there was some sort of uh use of the of evil angels with this incident and um it says that God shattered Rahab and fed him. Um, in, uh, Psalms chapter 74, the flesh of the dragon was, um, given to the uh, children in the wilderness, the, um, the people in the wilderness. And so, when we think about the flesh fed to the people in the wilderness, we, um, should think of manna, which was, uh, as the Psalms describe, um, called the bread of the angels, or literally their food. So, um... Their, the the food of these angels was given to uh, the Israelites while they were in Israel and that's not the only thing okay so it seems that when they were the, this host was defeated they were u- they were forced to be used against their own cause um let me describe myself further um in Psalms chapter 78 verse 49 when it describes the um the the ten plagues of Egypt, he says, he sent upon them a, his burning anger, fury, and indignation and trouble, a band of destroying angels, or literally in the Hebrew, evil angels. He sent a band of evil angels, um, and that just that um correlates back to the slaughtering of the firstborn. Let me uh, bring up Psalms chapter 78 in my Bible. So literally, it, it says that um, God sent these evil angels against them, and um, when we go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, when it describes the um, the destroyer who went to the angel which God sent to kill all the force. Firstborn in Egypt, the last plague which caused um, Pharaoh to let the let the Israelites go, so that they could go into the wilderness to the Promised Land. Um, it this is what it says: for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and then he who sees when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the uh, two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your homes to smite you, okay? So first, God says that the Lord was going to kill them, but directly it says he will not allow the destroyer to go into the house and kill. And that word destroyer is shachat, and it also means a corrupter. That same word in... um, Uh, Genesis chapter 6 where it says all flesh was corrupted.
0: So here you found more direct ties. Direct links back that what we was actually dealing with was an angelic war taking place in Egypt. So many people don't realize. They never read Psalm 78. They can't put it together to the Exodus I mean, nowadays, uh, people don't read the Bible, period, really. And now we have this fad that many, and I mean many, of the major denominations will just go through John every year. So that when it's Christmas time, they're back to the beginning and talking about the birth of Christ. And many people sitting in the pews have no idea that they've heard this sermon for the past 20 years. And they've just been going through John different ways.
1: Well, John never describes the birth of Christ.
0: Exactamundo! Exactamundo! But Aaron, you've gone to two such churches where that's the only sermons ever preached was out of the book of John. They were just working through it through the year. And then the next time around, they would do it a different way. Because... You know that most chapters have more than one stanza, right? Well, one year you preach the first stanza. The second year you preach the second stanza. And the parishioners have no idea what's going on. They're not being taught anything. They're just being recycled John. And that started over 20 years ago when they first started doing that, about the time they had bought up all the printing presses. But uh, people still to this day don't realize that, that it's not... Christian institutions that are printing up their Sunday school bulletins and their Sunday school lessons they they have no idea because they don't care to look and find out what's going on but that's neither here nor there with this study this study brought us to the simple fact that if you can't get to the original language which God spoke it in you're being left completely in the dark you had no way of discerning That what was going on in Pharaoh's throne room was an angelic war. These angels had taken sides, and God come in and issued judgment. That's exactly what happened. But if you read there that it's just the stabs were turned into snakes, you don't have a hint. Therefore, you'll never look for a clue, Aaron. You'd never know to look for a clue. If you hadn't looked at this in first the Hebrew, then investigated the Greek, you would have known, you would have had no idea that God would have the audacity to tell you the names of the angels that took this pack to create this Leviathan named Rahab. You'd have no clue that this Rahab was any different than the harlot. ...that helped the children of Israel and their spies. You'd have no idea. You'd think it was the exact same word. It's the exact same name. But this spawns... Another topic we're going to have to talk about, this type of sorcery that they were dealing with. Everybody deals with the pharmakia, of course. Ah, but this other sorcerer that opens all kinds of doors... Especially with the simple fact that, well, singing is worship. It is worship. That's what it is. And if you sing a song to something other than the Lord thy God, that is worshiping a false deity. So, if
1: you... If you stand back at what I was saying, I was always pointing out out this um, this corrupter uh, killing the firstborn of Israel, and uh, the flesh of the dragon being given to um, the people in the wilderness. So, how would you interpret interpret um, a the um, the Lord having crushed and scattered Leviathan, um, scattered this Rahab Um, forced them to kill them, or Rahab found himself found itself um, going against its own cause in perhaps uh, a confusion
0: well, we have proof of the second, not the former, okay how many times did God step in, confuse an army, and make it slay itself Yes, because um, what happened after this
1: firstborn being slain uh, the Pharaoh said, oh you can you can go Israel you you can people of Israel can go because um, because you've had my firstborn son killed after that after he saw what he had done and they had already gone out into the wilderness he chased him them his army chased them to the Red Sea thus it is it was parted so this confusion after the angels woke up and were like, what did we just do? They drove the armies against Israel to have them um, killed uh, at the shore of uh, the Red Sea. And God divided it as um, as Isaiah chapter um, 51 and throughout throughout the Scriptures it describes the dividing of the waters, in reference to this Rahab. And well, Aaron. So, so what do you think? What this confusion was?
0: Well, Aaron, I've already mentioned that God already stated that this Rahab was in the midst of Egypt's waters. Aaron, the Lord your God convinced these hosts to leave. Their domain. Why would, they, why would they go
1: against their own people and kill the firstborn of,
0: of that people? Because the Lord, he is God. And, Aaron, let me ask you something. You do realize that the Hyksos invasion was the result of the Egyptian army being wiped out, correct? Yes. So you think that once God showed up, these angels didn't know what the end game was, and they thought it wise to maybe let's get rid of these guys because God's going to make these Hyksos come in here, and we want them to worship us. So we know that we're about to get a pinch hitter here. That's a term from baseball. God's about ready to swipe out the people in charge. So we need to go ahead and deal with the problem, get these new Hyksos leaders in here so they can worship us. You know, Aaron, I'm describing to you what happens when a company does a takeover of another company. Aaron, this is common knowledge. You do not control a company, no matter how much you paid for it, until you have your management in place. That's common knowledge, Aaron. You do not control a company, no matter if you got the deed to the building, the whole nine yards, until you have your management in place. Now, it seems to me that's exactly what happened. Well, because that is what happened. Once the Egyptian army was wiped out, the Hyksos walked right in. It seems like to me that these angels... That is over this domain. They were informed. What God decided. This is how it's going to be. So they were just. uh, Doing what comes natural to them. They had to have the leaders worship them. Because they had dominion. In that place. Now. I find it interesting that God used emotion. To draw them outside their borders. Where they had no business being. Once they crossed the border. Once they rebelled. Aaron. Kind of like. Let's say there is a prince of New York City. He's only in God's good graces. As long as he's where God put him. Once he leaves that place. And crosses that border. Crosses that river. Goes over that mountain range. He's exposed. Because he's not in God's will. Well, just like those foreign armies that would come in and God would start chuckling. He would confuse them and they would turn on themselves and slaughter each other. Because they were not where God put them. So, that is my thoughts on the matter. What are your closing thoughts, Aaron?
1: Well... Um, this has been a long time before I've actually come to any conclusion on the matter. Um, I've, like I said, I've been studying this. I studied this was one of my first Bible studies, was Rahab and Leviathan, and the dragons of the Bible, and uh, I just thought this was a really interesting topic that uh, to bring into the light um, because a lot of this. Was was really Held in the background uh, The book of Exodus Didn't directly address This this fight between the angels So you'll have to read Most of the Old Test Throughout the Old, Old Testament In the prophets And in the Psalms To actually find out what was really going on In the spiritual realms so,
0: Well I will say that Not the Psalms This is the book of Asaph And Asaph was the prophet that singularly had the honor of prophesying by order of the king. So, you're talking about these references into Psalms. This is the book of Asaph. Psalm 73 through 83. That's where all the information that Asaph prophesies, what he does is he does what God has told us to do over and over and over, is To remind us, to remember God's wonders he performed in the Exodus. So, having said that, yes, it's in the Psalms, but really it's not only the prophets. It's not just that. It's the prophet Asaph that gave us all the key critical information that we needed to know. But no doubt about it, uh, Jeremiah was involved. Nahum was involved, of course. These things are critically important. But even Isaiah jumped into it. He gave more information. So we're really talking about a span of a great swath of prophetic narrative. God was going way out of his way to give you plenty of information, Aaron. Not in English, but he was giving you plenty of information. Multiple prophets. So that you wouldn't be confused about what a leviathan was, or a beast as it's described—a coalition of angels that's made a pact—he really gives you a fantastic amount of data, and it's amazing how many times you ask me about it. You've asked me about this. If you ask me once, you ask me a thousand times. But the information that you wanted was never in your tongue. It wasn't there. That's, that's not what God said. God did not say, for Psalms 87 verse 4, I shall mention Rahab. That's, that's not what he said. He spoke it in Greek, reiterated it in Hebrew. Or, you can take that inverted or reversed, it doesn't matter. And by the way, Aaron, that's one of the biggest keys for you to understand. You can invert them or reverse them because, of course, one language is left to right. The other one is right to left. So, I am glad you have finally found the conclusion to the matter. Because God had no problem even coming right out in the open and telling you the angels that made the pact. He had no problem doing it. No problem whatsoever. So Aaron, why don't you share your thoughts on maybe uh our future broadcast we might do, and then say your goodbyes and we'll get off here.
1: Well perhaps out a further study on um the fall of the watchers of um and what they were really doing in as described in um Enoch chapter seven to uh eight uh, When they fell. Um, What was their real agenda? And uh, it was good uh, having another Bible study with you guys. Uh, God bless you.
0: Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, Christian Conspiracy Theory, signing off.